My subject today is one word. The word is teman. I'm speaking on teman today from the book of Habakkuk. You know, it's many times that our shortest prayers, you know this, produce the most profound results. When Elijah was on Carmel, he spoke 63 words and fire fell. Peter had one sentence to the lame man in Acts 3. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Paul's 14 words in Acts 16 set a woman free from the spirit of divination. And when Hezekiah was struggling with life and death, when Isaiah said, get your house in order, you're going to die, he turned to the wall and he prayed 29 words. And he mentioned this, Lord, I've walked in truth, I've done it with a perfect heart, and I did right in your sight. And we all know Jabez's prayer of 33 words that has become life-changing words to so many. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous, I'll say, person avails much. There's two things here. Number one, a prayer of fervency. Fervency. You know when you're praying that King English stuff. Oh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be. You know that stuff. Or when you're saying, God, I need some help right now. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. And a man or a woman of passion praying that prayer. Habakkuk's short prayer of 33 words goes like this. O Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. And O Lord, revive your works in the midst of the years. Revive us. And in the midst of the years make known and in wrath remember mercy. The Bible said in verse 3, God came from Teman. There's that word. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, so be it. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. I say it again and I mean it with my heart. Many short prayers have an urgency that long orations do not have. There's times you've looked at a wreck and say, Jesus, help us. Jesus, save us. And that's all it took. And God took care of that situation. The Bible says that God came from Teman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, because prayer touched God and caused Him to move from one station to another. It always does. See, God came from where He was to where Habakkuk was. Because prayer always, say it with me, always Always. touches God. Always. God will leave where He is to come to where the prayer is. (laughs) Amen. I want to tell you a funny story. The Peace Corps in South America have a, has a handbook they give to volunteers concerning the Amazon. And there's a big old snake down there called the anaconda. And he's big and he's massive and he's fast. That's all I got to say about that. So, so they give them this volunteer handbook. And there's 10 rules about how to handle an anaconda attack. Number one, do not run. Because the anaconda can outrun you. Two, lay down. Really? <laughs> Surrender, I guess. Number three, tuck your chin and your hands by your side. Number four, I like this one, don't panic. <laughs> Number five, the snake will check you out. It'll start smelling you. Yeah, it's check you out. It's going to see if you're going to be a good lunch. Number six. It'll start swallowing you from the feet up. Now, here's my question. Has the snake read this manual? (laughs) Is it always feet up? Number seven, slowly let this happen. 
Don't panic. There's that word again. Number eight, carefully take the knife out of your scabbard. Place it between your legs under the snake's head and rip up, killing the snake. Number nine, make sure you have a knife. <laughs> and number 10, make sure it's sharp. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Still, Still works. works. Woo, hallelujah. There's not a weapon against the old serpent of hell like prayer. And God is still an on-time God. He's sometimes early, but He's never late. This story I'm going to tell you sounds like fiction. I'm going to get into preaching in a minute, but believe me, it's all true. In 1820, there was a man named Peter Richley who was a grateful man. He survived the strangest event known to mankind. He was in the Australian Navy. The ship he was traveling on sank, and he was rescued by another ship. And by a strange circumstance, the ship that rescued him also sank. Same day. He was rescued the second time. The third ship also sank. <laughs> he was rescued the third time. Unbelievably, the fourth ship of passage also sank. Miraculously, he was saved the fourth time. Google him. You'll read about it. But as the, fifth, as the fifth ship sank as well after he was rescued the fourth time, it was laughable, but now yet serious. He floated on the high sea with a serene confidence that this is not my day to die. God's going to help me. And as if on cue, another ship came by and answered his call for help. The city of Leeds was the name of the ship. It was a liner from England on the way to Australia, traveling the same sea lane that Peter Richley's down ships had traveled. And the crew saved Peter one more time for the fifth time, and they put dry clothing on him and dried him off, and the ship's doctor gave him an exam, clean bill of health, and then asked an unusual favor. He said, there's a lady on board who booked passage to Australia, Peter, and, and uh, she's looking for her son who's disappeared 10 years ago. She's dying, and she's asking to see her son, and she, she knows everybody on board, and since you're the only newcomer, would you pretend to be her son today? And Peter agreed, and after all, he had been saved five times. I think he'd have done just about anything for that doctor. He followed the doctor below deck, entered into the cabin, and there on a small bed lay a frail woman with silver hair. She obviously was suffering from a very high fever. She was delirious. But he heard her pray, please, God, let my son, let me see my son before I die. I must see my son. And when Peter saw the woman, he began to weep because lying on that bed was the reason he could not seem to die on that day. Here was the prayer lifeline that kept him alive. He looked in the face of Sarah Richley, his own mom, wow. who had prayed for him unceasingly to be reconciled to him. Never, never, never underestimate the power of prayer. Why don't you give a hand to the Lord? So... So Teman and Perrin, the most awesome manifestations, folks, of the Old Testament happened at Perrin and Mount Sinai in that range there. In fact, history bears out that there were two mountains there, one Sinai on a horseshoe-shaped peninsula on the other side was Perrin, and the ground that it covered was called Teman. And the Bible said in Deuteronomy 33, the Lord came from Sinai and he shined forth from Paran. Here's what I want to tell you about that area. It was the area where God did his work. 
It was where God's manifest glory took place. That area meant that God was moving. It was where God gave the commandments to Moses. It was where they celebrated the Israelites a year later, the first Passover. They celebrated there, then moved on to Kadesh Barnea. It was there where God spoke to Moses down just a little bit away from that area where the burning bush caught on fire. And he went back in to bring Israel out. And Teman literally means the right hand of power. It shows that God is declaring purpose. It's like God's workshop. It's like his garage where he makes things. It's like where God puts it all together and says, this is how it's going to be. Yet a simple prayer, whoo, pierced the heart of God. And he left his workshop. He left there and came to Habakkuk when Habakkuk said, would you revive us in the midst of the years? Which proves that God will leave purpose to come to possibility. I'm going to preach today that there's nothing that God is doing that is bigger than touching people that give him a possibility to touch their lives. Would you clap your hands for that? In fact, you need to put your hand on your chest and say, I'm still a possibility. I was a possibility. I am a possibility. And I'll continue to be one because God's not finished with me yet. Clap your hands to that right now. See, God is not so wrapped up in making new stuff and creating stars and more galaxies. And by the way, we found a, a new planet the other day, two weeks ago, a new one had never been seen. More constellations that he won't leave it in a heartbeat to find possibilities. God loves possibles. They sang about it today. God loves possibles. I love the book of Acts. I read it sometimes when I just need a Holy Spirit blessing. But I love Acts 8. Acts 8 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Because there was a revival going on in Samaria. You know, those people that wasn't attached to either side. They wasn't Jew or Gentile. They were right in the, caught in the middle. And, and in Acts 8, there was a revival going on. And really, it was the hottest place on earth. It was the place where unclean spirits, in verse 7, were coming out of people. And sick folks were being healed. And palsies were being touched. And in verse 8, the whole city had great joy. Folks, not the church. The whole town had joy. When they met each other, they just smile and bob. Everybody they met, just happy. Because the presence of God was visiting them. And the Holy Spirit had not been given to them yet because Peter and John had not come to lay hands on them. It was the New Testament teaman. It was where God was saying, I'm working this up now. I'm getting this thing ready because I'm fixing to launch. I'm fixing to do something mighty. And I'm going to do it right here with the people who nobody loves and nobody wants. I'm going to do it for them. And that hot spot in, the new, in that New Testament, yet God spoke in that middle of the revival, spoke to the man that came and started it named Philip. In Acts 8, he said, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza which is desert. And here's why. Because there's one man that I heard pray. And I want you to go touch him and find him and bring him salvation and understand the word of God. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia. And Philip went to the desert and found that man, got up in his chariot, found water, baptized him. And then Philip was translated. Isn't that beautiful? And you know what, folks? Ethiopia today is a Christian nation. Yeah. Because one man 
went to one man in a chariot because God is into possibilities. Acts 10, another story of two men. Peter is the leader of the church. That's the purpose. He was the heart of purpose. And yet there was a man named Cornelius who was a devout man, a Gentile. He was the heart of possibility. And it was Cornelius that was praying while Pete was on a roof waiting for dinner. And Cornelius was praying and he saw a vision in Acts 10 and 3. And an angel speak to him and fear struck him. He said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Here's what he was saying. Son, it doesn't matter if you're not even counted in on the bunch that found Jesus first and got the revelation from him first. But your prayers and your alms have come up to me and I'm going to send somebody and they're going to bring truth to you and your whole house is going to be saved because you prayed a prayer. Oh, hallelujah. And God put the church on hold to save a house. He left purpose to find possibility. Folks, this moves me. God left Teman to revive Habakkuk and the nation of Israel. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they failed. God could have started all over. We'd have never known the difference. We just had a new Bible. Yet he was so in love with his first creation that he would rather revive it than start all over. Revelation 13, 8 said he's the lamb slain. Everybody say from, from. the foundation of the world. But Ephesians 1 said we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, when he made us, he said, now I got to fix you. And I'm waiting on you to call on me and ask me for a possibility. And I'm going to come and take care because I'm the lamb slain from the foundation. But I made you before the foundation of the world. So he's created something that when you call, he will answer. See, I got this new thing about prayer. God don't never shut us out. Sometimes he says no, but he never says I don't hear you. He's an all praying, answering God. And when you need him, you call on him, he'll come and answer you where you are. Clap your hands for that right now. I read about a man that was driving down the road one day several years ago and his car broke down. <laughs> and he got out. You know, he's kind of like me. All he could do is put gas in his car. He didn't know how to change the oil. He didn't know how to fix the the spark plugs, he didn't know there was a spark plug in that car. And he got out and lifted the hood, act like he knew what he was doing. So people would might stop and he'd say, you know, if you could kind of help me a little bit, he'd step back and let them. Well, a, a limousine drove up. And a man stepped out of the limousine with a tuxedo on. And he come up to the young man. He said, young man, you having a problem with that car? And he said, yes, sir, I am. He said, you mind if I help you? And the guy kind of looked at him with disdain like, oh, man, you're a fancy man. You can't help me. He said, why don't you get in that car and sit under the steering wheel, and when I give you the signal, I want you to hit the starter. <laughs> and he went under that hood, and he tapped this and pulled this wire and put that wire there and did all this. And he said, okay, hit it. And he hit it, and it started. He shut it down, wiped off his hand, and he said, okay, be on your way. And the young man said, well, how much I owe you? He said, you don't owe me nothing. He said, well, who do I think? He said, well, my name's Henry Ford. <laughs> and I made that car. <laughs> That's one of my creations. And I can't stand to see one of my creations beside the road not running. I've come to tell you, if you're stuck beside the road with the hood up, there's a Savior stopping by right now and saying, I'm here for you. I want to get you back into business. 
I want to get you back on the highway of holiness. I want to get you back in the path of righteousness. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have a good day. Have a good day. That's what he told him. Jesus had three and a half years, folks, to launch an eternal work. And yet he was interrupted time and time again. The reason? Because God hit the pause button and said, reach that one. Touch that one. Bless that one. Save that one. The Gadarene, the man possessed with demons, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus sensed his cry. And do you realize that Jesus was the first one ever in that tomb area, ever in that, in that graveyard that didn't have a whip or a chain in his hand? He wasn't there to beat him or bind him. He was there to set him free. Amen. Or oh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well that had been married five times and living with the sixth man. And then she met the seventh man who gave her a brand new eight, new beginning. I think it's so cool. He just put everything on pause. Then there was that man in Mark 10 that couldn't see. His name was Bartimaeus, but he, he said, Lord, have mercy on me. And when Jesus stopped, he said, bring him to me. Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. Master, you've got a lot to do. Bring him to me. And when he started to come to him, the Bible said he took off his garment. Because blind people wore garments that recognized that they were blind. He took away his garment and threw it away and said, I'm going to leave here seeing today. That's the faith we read about in the Bible that we need to have in our lives when we pray prayers of possibility. Amen. And how about that little lady with the issue of blood in Matthew 9? Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. She says, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And she touched him, and Jesus stopped and said, somebody touched me. And one of his real enlightened disciples said, Lord, a lot of people have touched you. There's a mass of people here. He said, no, no, I felt virtue. Something flowed out of me. And she said, it's I, Lord. And he called her daughter. She went from a nobody to a somebody, a nobody to an anybody to a somebody, just like that. Because when God hears your prayer... He will stop what he's doing and come and answer that prayer. That's the Jesus I'm preaching about today. On a personal note, 1998, I was in my, our church. We had built a new building in 1997, and I was in that church praying. I was having one of those Habakkuk moments just saying, God, need to be revived, need help, need strength. And all of a sudden, I thought about have I forgiven? Am I a forgiver? Do I forgive? And it seemed as if God, now, folks, he didn't talk to me in an audible voice. He really didn't. But he, he inclined to me and said, could you, could you forgive the man that took your wife and son's life in 1981, the drunk driver that took their life? And I said, Lord, I think I have. Because, you know, I hadn't seen him, but I remit every Sunday. I don't retain sins. I remit sins. I don't hold anything against anybody. Every day is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And he said, could you pastor him? And I said, now, Lord, you're getting close now. You're getting real close. But I said, whatever, Lord, whatever. And God seemed to say, you know, he is a possibility. 
And three days later, so help me, three days later, wasn't that when Jesus got up out of the grave? Three days. A knock came on the church door, and a man was standing there, a Hispanic man standing there. And he said, is there a man here? He's weeping. Is there a man here named Pastor Rex? And my secretary, Vicki, said, yes, there is. She said, he said, could I meet with him? I want to see him. And I thought he needed money. We had a lot of people come by. I don't guess y'all ever have that. We have people come by in Austin wanting money from time to time. And I'm a softy, and I give it. And I'm broke today because I've been giving it to them. <laughs> I brought him in Vicky's office. He didn't sit down. He knelt down, and he said, I've come to ask forgiveness. And I thought, oh, God. Oh, God. He said, 17 years ago in Dallas, I destroyed your family. And I've been to prison, and I found Jesus in prison. And I went to the warden, and I went to the chaplain, and both of them said, if you're going to stay out of this prison, you're going to have to find the preacher. He's a pastor. You've got to find him. You got to find that man wherever he is. If he's around the world, if he's in Austin, if he's if he's in Texas, wherever he's at, you got to go find him and ask forgiveness. And I had prayed three days earlier, and God came from Tima. And I came around that desk and I hugged him, and our shirts had been like we had been swimming, our tears were just flowing. And then he backed off and he said, "You forgive me, don't you?" And I said, "I forgive you, young man. I forgive you." He said, would you pastor me? And I said, yes. And he brought his family from Dallas. And for eight and a half years, nobody in our church knew who they were because I didn't want anybody to know who they were because they might be persecuting them or they might lift them up or hurt them in any way. So I pastored him for eight and a half years. And in that time, our church grew, strong growth, 1,200 to 1,500 members. You hear me? God comes from Tima. Oh, I'm here to tell you something, folks. It doesn't matter what the possibility is. God's into possibilities. Uh, God's into possibilities. Now let me preach here a little bit. Let me preach here a little bit. Every church, CLA, City Lights, in Vegas, every church must enlarge its capacity in this last hour for God. David, the king, spoke about a teacup. Then he spoke about a well. And then he spoke about a river. You've got to enlarge your capacity because, folks, this church has a spirit and a power in it that everybody in Las Vegas needs. You have something called the it factor that everybody in this city needs, and they need to run slap dab into the middle of it. That's West Texas for you. And they need to feel what you have every Sunday in this house. Anybody agree with that? Possibilities are out there. Possibilities are in here. God is into possibilities. I had, a, I had a friend of mine as an old hippie received the Lord years ago. In fact, he is a, one of the first people that received the Lord when we built the church in 97. He was one of the first people to receive the Lord in that church. And he played with Willie Nelson and, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he was a bad man. And he, and he taught some guitar, little guitar players in our church that are playing guitars now in our, in our stage in our praise and worship team. And he told me one day, he said, Pastor, if you ever get a chance to use this, he said, I have a blind friend that said he never has seen an ugly woman. <laughs> Why don't we get blind to what we think people are and quit using the 30-second rule on them and say, I don't think that you're capable of the kingdom. Why don't we let everybody be capable of the kingdom? Come on. 
Why don't we let everybody be capable of the kingdom? Why don't we let everybody find the Jesus that we know? Oh, I could preach right now, but I'm not. Samuel got a new coat every year from his mother, and it never was a smaller coat. It was always larger because living things just grow. And that's what it's all about. Living things grow. The blessing will go somewhere. City light, we must enlarge our hearts to receive what possibilities God has for us. So let me wrap it up. Calvary was Jesus' purpose. And when he was on the cross for six hours, they offered him honey and myrrh and a narcotic that would help him lose his consciousness. Why didn't he take it? Calvary was his purpose. Calvary was the reason he came. He came to die for us. And I'm appreciative of that. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world was on the cross and dying. That was his teaming, his purpose. But he put it on hold. You know what for? For one thief. Not one sanctimonious man, but one thief that prayed. Can you help me? Will you remember me when you come to your kingdom? Will you? God's interested in our prayers, folks. And he will come to possibility. I must close. I must close. We had a little lady in our church that was a minister's wife, and he died early, and she lived a long time. Her name was Marge. She was, she was my almond joy. The reason I called her that, she brought me almonds all the time to eat. She said dried almonds would let me live to be 90 or something like that. <laughs> said if I ate nine a day, my cholesterol would be in check all the time. So I ate nine. I said, well, I don't want it to be lowered, so I ate 10 or 11 or 12. I'm enjoying you folks. Y'all are so awesome. But she came up to me one day with a, a unique request. She said, Pastor, she said, I got one prayer request, and I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of bad to even ask God this. I said, what is it, Lord? She said, I've always been afraid of the dark. I said, you think the Lord would let me die when the sun was shining? You think, that, you think that's too little to ask? I said, He'll just ask him. Let's just pray. So we prayed, Lord, when Marge dies, let her die in the dark. Not in the dark, but in the light. She said, thank you, Pastor. She's wiping her eyes. She, I mean, it moved her. So I prayed with her to let the sun be shining when she died. So would you believe when we got the call for her passing, it was 2.30 in the morning. It was a long time before the sun was going to come up. Patty and I went. We, we were fretting all the way to the hospital, just fretting over it. We got there, and the family was there, and they was all crying. She was unconscious. And yet, we all held out that the sun was going to come up before she died. She was the most precious lady. So about, about 6, 25 or so, I went over to the window and opened the shades, and I saw the morning. The sun had risen. It was a new day for Marge. And I came back and I said, Marge, if you can hear me, sweetheart, the sun's up. It's daytime. You can go home now. And she said, she said, she came out of a comatose state. She said, thank you. And went back into that comatose state. And in less than five minutes, and my wife is my witness, she went to be with the Lord. Because God is in the possibilities. That's not the end of the story. 
So on my way back to the church about 11 o'clock that day, I heard the meteorologist in Austin say, folks, we had a phenomenon in Texas today and a phenomenon in this, in this world. Said the sun, for some reason, came up when we didn't predict it was going to come up. It came up five minutes early. Today. Said, I don't understand it. Said, maybe the good Lord's trying to correct something in the universe. I don't know. But it was up five minutes early. No, it wasn't because God's trying to correct something in the universe. God can just do what he wants to do when he comes to a possibility that prays to him and asks him to help. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I, I, I want to close with this. Pastor Jabin, thank you for the privilege. When y'all start having Wednesday nights or longer, longer church nights, I want Pastor Jabin to have me fly out here. I want to preach to you. I was flying home from a camp that I'd spoken in, in Seattle and, and I'd bumped up or the, the district let me bump up and I was flying in the first class section and I had a seat beside me and the flight attendant came and said Rex do you mind if we bring up a military man said there's a military man on leave and said he's it was during the Iraq Afghanistan conflict and all that said pardon me war forgive me all you guys that served I said we didn't, we're going to move him up I said oh I'd be happy so when I saw him of course I'm an older man it's probably about eight or ten years ago. I, I'm an older man, and, and uh, when he when they came up, I said, "Son, I'm a hugger, and I'm a pastor, and I'm straight." <laughs> and I said, "You sit down here." I said, "You want to talk? We'll talk." You want to read, we'll read. Whatever you want to do, I'm here. He said, man, I want to talk to you. And I thought in my mind, I thought that. Because I could talk, talk to a stop sign. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, what's the most unique thing you've ever seen in the military? And he said, it's very easy to tell you. First day I was in basic he said a man came to join was there for basic and he had hair halfway down his back and it was dyed different colors all the way down about every two inches he said we called him rainbow head and said we tried to get him to go home because it just didn't look like he fit the army he just didn't have the style the type that we were looking for and he said he challenged every man in the barracks he said I am army and don't mess with me and said when they shaved his head, his head was all those colors that he had dyed his hair. You know. And he said, I said, well, what's, what's unique about that? He said, well, I lost track of him. But he said, you know when Mr. Saddam Hussein was taken out of that spider hole? He said, Hunter became a ranger. Became a ranger, an army ranger. He said he was the baddest of the bad. And it was his men that pulled Saddam out of that hole. And he said, what we thought was a long-haired hippie was a young man that was army. And so here's what I'm telling you. The enemy has lied to some of you. 
and said, you don't belong in this house. You don't belong in God's kingdom. You don't belong in his church. But I want you to flex today when you walk out of here and say, I am church. This is what I am. I am in the kingdom of God. The greatest decision you will ever make is deciding to follow Jesus Christ in your life.